0: Well, there's an old Portuguese story that tells of a young Christian boy uh, who was forced to beg for food and other basic necessities on the streets of his village. Now, one day, uh, the boy was mocked and ridiculed by a wealthy atheist son. If God really loves you, he said, then why doesn't he take better care of you? Why doesn't he just tell someone to give you a pair of shoes or something to eat? Sadly, Heartbroken, the boy replied, I think God does tell people, but they just aren't listening. If you're joining us for the first time today, we're in the second week of a message series called Ministry is Messy. And throughout the month of September, we're working our way through Luke chapter 9. At this point in Jesus' life and ministry, things were not getting any easier. The crowds of people who were wanting to hear him teach or to see him perform some kind of miracle uh, were growing. Many of the religious leaders were plotting to kill him. The disciples were being asked to step out in faith as they had the opportunity now to practice some of the things they'd been learning from Jesus up until this point. The four stories that we find in Luke chapter 9, I think are great reminders to us about how ministry is often messy. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, If you say, I'm I'm a believer, I follow Jesus with my life, then you've been called to die to self, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. If you've given your life to kingdom work, uh, you've accepted the call to sacrifice and suffer for the sake of the gospel if that's the path God's put in front of you. Ministry is messy because ministry is made up of imperfect people who are trying to live for and follow a perfect Savior. And so today, we're going to read and learn from an amazing story that's found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter 9, verses 12 through 17 is Luke's account of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, if you've grown up in the church, chances are you've heard this story a time or two. But let me remind you that if something is repeated, in this case, four times, that means it's important. If something's repeated, it's important. So I want to challenge you today to read this story with fresh eyes um, and to hear it with fresh ears. The feeding of the 5,000 really was a sermon in action. What do I mean by that? Well, it gave the opportunity for the disciples to to now demonstrate the compassion that they saw Jesus demonstrating uh, towards others. Uh, To see a problem, and it seemed like a big problem, uh, as an opportunity for God to work And to give God what little they had, trusting him with the results. In the crisis hours of life, when your resources are low, your responsibilities are great, it's good to remember that God already has the problem solved. He already has the problem solved. As you go about your day... Interacting with the people God has put in your circle of influence, chances are you are the person that God is calling to give someone else a pair of shoes to wear or food to eat, you know, figuratively or literally. So let's begin our time with prayer and then we're going to dive into the sermon today. Heavenly Father, as we read about this sermon in action, help us to live out your word in our lives as well. We don't want to just be hearers of the word, we want to be doers of the word. And so I ask that during this time that, Lord, you would strengthen your church, that you would encourage your church, that you would convict your church, you would lead us to be your hands and your feet in this time and in this place. Help us to make the name of Jesus famous wherever we go. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, uh, I'm excited to share this story with you. Luke chapter 9, we're going to be in verses 12 through 17. Uh, Again, this story is found in all four Gospels, so I'm going to reference that a few times this morning. But because we're in Luke, uh, we're going to read Luke's account. So Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 12, this is what we read. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him, uh, him being Jesus, and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. I don't know about you, but that sounds a little pushy from Jesus' disciples. But Jesus said, three words, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down, and Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So let's start with the context. What's happening here? It's always good to understand the context of what we read in the Bible before we jump straight to the application. Uh, previously in Luke chapter 9, it's kind of like another episode, right? Previously in Luke 9, um, Jesus had sent the 12 apostles out in pairs and he did this on a special journey. This was their first solo flight with Jesus, without Jesus being with them. And the apostles were given power and authority to cast out demons, to um, heal the sick, and proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God. And that really was the main focus. That really was the mission, to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God. These other uh, gifts, these other abilities, I think were given for that time, uh, for that specific purpose, so that people would have hearts that would hear and ears to hear the gospel and hear about the kingdom going from village to village, uh, they had to rely on God's leading. They had to rely on God's provision to help them accomplish the job. Now, apparently, there was a lot of success on this journey because when they made it back, they met back up with Jesus, they had a lot of stories to share. I can only imagine the kind of interactions these men had uh, with the people they encountered. I mean, some positive for sure, some challenging. Uh, Ministry is messy after all. Well, before they did anything else, we, we read last week how Jesus took them to a quiet place so they could, uh, what, do you remember the story? What did they have to do? Rest. Yeah, three of you get a star this morning, a gold one. Everybody else, you have homework. <laughs> <laughs> so he took them to a quiet place so they could rest. We talked about how there's a time to work, there's a time to serve, but friends, there's also a time to rest. I love that quote from Vance Havner. He said, if we don't come apart and rest, we'll just come apart. Many of you have been there. So as important as it is to use your gifts to serve God, it's also important to find time to rest. And really rest according to God's word and God's plan is often different from the way that we think about rest. We often think about laziness. God thinks about the things that we do that fill us up. You know, you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't pour from an empty cup. And uh, once uh, Jesus and the twelve were able to get filled back up, once they were able to rest, there was really no shortage of opportunity for them to uh, re-engage in ministry, to minister to people. And so late in the afternoon, on the same day, that's the story that we're reading this morning, the crowds of people had grown to an unmanageable size. So much so, the disciples came to Jesus and they said this in verse 12. Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms. You know, send them home. We can't take care of them. So they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. I think they were wanting to rest again, but there was work to be done. You know, Jesus was not the kind of person who could teach the word and then say to a really hungry group of people, you know, thanks for coming today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to the message. I, I know you're hungry, but you're on your own now. Fend for yourself. And Jesus didn't do that. I think speaking of food, I, we need to show our appreciation this morning to our fellowship ministry for preparing the, the food, the meal last week for our church picnic. So why don't we say thank you to them this morning? Yeah. That's, that's not an easy job, and they always do it with joy, and they always do it so well. Uh, after listening to the message last week, almost 100 of you were able to go and eat some food, and uh, you were fat and happy, and then you went home. <laughs> Not as many as, you know, they had to feed that day, but close enough. We'll, we'll call it, you know, the margin is, is close. Well, the disciples hadn't yet caught on to the compassion of Christ and the burden that he had for people. We've talked before about how compassion uh, is giving up my wants to meet another person's needs, right? Compassion means doing something. It's love in action. It's sacrificial. We see the phrase, moved with compassion, at least 12 times throughout the Gospels, and eight of which are made in reference to Jesus having compassion on someone else. The disciples, they were still prioritizing their own needs above the needs of others. They they were a little bit selfish at this point. After all, they're human. But that would change as they continued to grow, as they continued to learn from Jesus to live like Jesus. Now when we combine all four gospel accounts, and that's a fun thing to do, to read this story uh, and read all four gospel accounts, we learn that Jesus first asked Philip where they could buy enough food to feed a group this large. The story is called the feeding of the 5,000, but that number doesn't necessarily take into account the women and children who were present that day. There could have been over 10,000 people. Can you imagine that? 10,000 people. The disciples, they had a solution. Their solution was to send people home. Right? You heard the message, fend for yourself. But Jesus had something else in mind. And again, I remind you that in the crisis hours of life, when your resources are low and your responsibilities are great, it's good to remember that God already has the problem solved. Jesus' solution is found in verse 13. Three words. You feed them. You feed them. The disciples' response, I think, is a familiar one. We often do the exact same thing when God asks us to step out in faith and to trust him and to do something for him. So verse 13 in its entirety, but Jesus said, you feed them. And here's the disciples' response, right? Let's see how many of us fit in this kind of category, this response. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? So their their, their first response was to see the situation as a problem, right? There's, There's no way we could do this. Their first response was to come up with a series of excuses. Jesus, on the other hand, saw it as an opportunity. He gave them clear instructions about what they should do next. They were to go around and ask people to sit in groups of about 50 each. And while they were grouping people together, they were also to gather up whatever food they could find. Now, Andrew found a young boy who was willing to give up what little he had. His sack lunch for the day included five barley loaves of bread and two fish. I mean, hardly enough to feed the masses. But he brought what little he had to Jesus. And you already know what happened next. Verses 16 and 17, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. It just wasn't going away. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, this is the part that gets me, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. There was enough to take home. Jesus took the bread and the fish. He looked up to heaven, to the source of every good thing that we have. He gave thanks. He blessed the food. And then he multiplied what was given to him so that there was enough food to go around for everyone. And we're told that the people ate as much as they wanted. They went back for seconds. They went back for thirds. And then when they were fat and happy, there were 12 baskets left over, one for each of the disciples. This was truly a miracle. Some people write it off and try to find an excuse for how this could happen. Friends, this was a miracle. Jesus not only took care of the masses, but he also took care of his friends that day. A miracle is when God in heaven intervenes on earth. That's exactly what happened. Even though feeding the masses was really important, and and most people stop here. You read the story and you think, wow, this this is amazing. Everybody had enough to eat. So even though that was important, this particular miracle was more than an act of compassion for a group of hungry people. It was also a sign that Jesus is who he says he is. It was an illustration of the way that he alone can provide for our greatest need, our spiritual need. If you were to keep reading, uh, you find out that the very next day, uh, Jesus preached a sermon about how he is the bread of life. And how the people needed to receive him just as they had received the bread. I think the feeding of the 5,000 was just the warm-up act. It was just the appetizer before the main course. We find this sermon in John chapter 6. Again, if you're reading it chronologically. I don't have time to read that entire text, but I want to read you... uh, We'll read five verses, six verses this morning. Just an excerpt from Jesus' sermon. So John chapter 6. Uh, beginning in verse 26. Again, keep in mind, this came right on the heels of Jesus, Jesus feeding the 5,000. So Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Right? You're only sticking around because of the miracle that you saw. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that God That that, that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. How often do we go through life so focused on the material, so focused on the things that we can only we can see and touch, and we forget to focus on the eternal. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then 35, that famous verse, Jesus replied, I am, and let's say it together, the bread of life. Let's try it one more time. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The people were more interested in their stomachs than their souls and completely missed the point of the miracle. Alistair Begg rightly said that the great miracle is that God could change a heart. He could take someone who was not seeking him and turn him around. That's what Jesus was trying to do. The physical miracle was great. The food was great. They were were hungry. But the spiritual implication was so much greater. God may be using the people and circumstances in your life right now, to get your attention. Don't get so focused on the material, the temporal, that you miss what he's trying to do in your life and through your life. Don't get so focused on the things that you can see and touch. Don't get so focused on trying to be the author of your own story that you miss what God is trying to do. And so what's the application for all of us? what's the application in this story? And there's so many things, but this morning I want to give you three things. I think it's threefold, and I'm going to go through these pretty quickly if you're taking notes. One, it's kind of starting at the beginning, this lesson the disciples had to learn. Learn to practice compassion towards others. Learn to practice compassion towards others. We're called to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus Jesus always showed compassion toward the people he interacted with. And remember, compassion is giving up my wants to meet another person's needs. What is it that you want that you may have to give up this season so that you can serve God by serving others? You know, like contentment, I believe compassion is learned over time. And we know the Apostle Paul wrote about contentment. He wrote about contentment from prison I've learned to be content. Learn to be content with much or with little. With a lot or with, with few. I, I believe that compassion is learned as well. Listen uh, to what Paul wrote to the Christians in Colossae, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, so you're chosen, you're set apart. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I think how often we come to church and someone may comment on what you're wearing. I like your shirt. I like your clothes. How often do do people comment on your compassion? We're to clothe ourselves with compassion. It should be visible to other people. We're chosen by God. We're set apart to be ambassadors for him. And he's saying like a pair of clean clothes, compassion is something that we're, we're called to put on every morning when we wake up. And being ambassadors for Jesus, that means we represent him wherever we go, whoever we're with, whatever we're saying. And Colossians 3.12 is really part of the strategy the Apostle Paul uh, laid out and offered to Christians in Colossae that would help them live for God every single day. Clothe yourselves with these Christ-like characteristics. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, the key to learning how to practice compassion towards others is first remembering how you've been on the receiving end of God's compassion in your own life. Before knowing Jesus, the Bible says we were all like sheep without a shepherd. We're just wandering through life with no direction, no real destination. Jesus was moved to meet our greatest need, our spiritual need, and he gives us exactly what we need in the portion that we need it. And so that first challenge here is to learn to practice compassion towards others. This is something we should be known for. I'm just curious if the people in your life would uh, describe you as a compassionate person. Are you a compassionate person? Number two, Learn to see problems as opportunities. This is going to get really practical, but often challenging. Learn to see problems as opportunities. Let me share just a a couple of verses with you this morning that, that highlight this truth. Matthew 6, verse 8, a great promise. For your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. How amazing is that? This morning, whatever is going on in your life, the Bible tells us, reminds us, that God knows exactly what you need before you even ask. Now, does that mean that we don't go to God in prayer, that we don't ask? Absolutely not. Prayer is a gift. It allows us to rely on God. It teaches us to rely on God. It teaches us to trust Him. Prayer is just communicating with God. And so when we go to God, we learn to have faith in Him. But before we even bring our needs to God, he knows exactly what it is that we need. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, And the same God who takes care of me, this is the Apostle Paul talking, will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So not only does God know exactly what you need, but he also promises to meet that need. Amen? That's amazing. Now, some of you are going to read this and you're thinking, well, there's a lot of things that I want. There's a lot of things I've been asking for lately. Well, God's not a genie, number one, right? He's not Santa. And the key here is needs. God promises to provide for your needs, not your greeds. I think a lot of times we go to God with our greeds and then we wonder why we don't get the answer we're looking for It's because he promises to provide for our needs, At the time of the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples uh, were seeing problems as opportunities to complain. How practical is this for us today? I'll just, you know, preach to the choir for a minute. I'm just talking to myself because there are so many times in life, probably this past week, several times that I've looked at a problem and uh, I see it as an opportunity to complain. But over time, these disciples, they learned how to see problems as opportunities and opportunities for God to work. What if we approached all of the challenges, all the struggles, all the problems in our life that way? That when we're faced with a trial, we're faced with some kind of trouble, we say, you know what, God's got this. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have to act in faith. We'll talk about that a little bit. But knowing that when, when resources are low, When responsibilities are great, God already has a solution to the problem. In this room, there are hundreds and hundreds of stories about how God has provided over the years. But we're creatures of habit. We're prone to forget how God has worked in the past. And so when we're faced with a problem, whether it's financial, relational, work-related, we forget that God already has the solution. We forget that God's got this. Seeing that solution play out requires faith on our part. We have to make godly choices. We have to make wise choices. And acting on that faith as we do the things that God has called us to do. But sometimes I think we need to take a step back. And I think what we need is just that simple reminder that God is still on the throne. That God is still in control. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and learn to see problems as opportunities. That's one of my challenges for you this week. If you are a follower of Jesus, when you are faced with a problem, I want you to stop and remember this story and say, you know what, God, I'm I'm gonna choose to see this as an opportunity for you to work. How are you gonna use me in this situation? What are you gonna teach me in this situation? Complaining Is really the opposite of gratitude. Have you ever thought about that? That God calls us to be a grateful people, a thankful people. The New Testament talks about thankfulness time and time again. Always be thankful, always give thanks. Complaining is the opposite of gratitude. I don't think that's God's plan for our lives. So remember this story. You know, I'm, over the years, we, we've been through some challenging things as a church family. Have we not? I, I know our daycare has been through some challenging times. Our church has been through some challenging times. But I can confidently stand here today and tell you that God is still good and that God is still on the throne and that he can and does use the difficult seasons in our lives to grow our character, to make us more like Christ. I'm a better husband and a better father, a better pastor because of the challenges and the problems that I've had to face with God's help. The same is true in your life. So learn to see problems as opportunities. Specifically, opportunities for God to work. Number three, this is our our third and, and final takeaway from today. Give God what you have and trust him with the rest. I was in my office this morning going through my notes, and uh, I didn't have time to change it in the slides or in my sermon, but I decided to change that last word. Give God what you have, trust him with the rest. I I think a better word there is results. Give God what you have, and trust him with the results. We serve a God of multiplication. I wasn't always great at math. So that's a difficult concept for my mind. But we serve a God of multiplication. Um, What do I mean by that? Well, if you faithfully give God your time, guess what? He multiplies it. If you give God your talent, he multiplies it. If, If you are generous in giving your treasure, he multiplies it and does far more with it than what you could ever do on your own. Multiplication is God's idea. It's really the same principle as planting seeds. We're going to have to put ourselves in the shoes of a farmer this morning. I'm not a a farmer of uh, plants and things. I'm a farmer of people, I think, so you can understand that. But it's really the same principle as planting seeds. Uh, The Apostle Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. It says, For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. So he gives us what we need to plant, and then he is in charge of the results. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of righteousness in you. I think you can paraphrase this verse like this. God will increase the things that you do that have his approval. Right? God will increase the things you do that have his approval. Now the key there, I don't know if you can spot it, that have his approval. A lot of people ask, you know, why isn't God blessing this area of my life? Why don't I see God multiplying this area of my life? And oftentimes I think that we make decisions, maybe we go down a path where we remove ourselves from God's blessing. We see that over and over again in Scripture. When we're not living within God's will, when we're maybe there's a relationship that you're involved in and it's, it's, you're not engaging in that relationship how God would have you, you're removing yourself from God's blessing. You know, maybe... At work, you're wondering, you know, you think you are working really hard, but maybe you're you're being dishonest in your job, dishonest with people, and you're wondering why God isn't multiplying that, multiplying that effort. I think maybe you've removed yourself from God's blessing. God will increase the things you do that have his approval. Farmers know that that seed must be given away for it to increase. If you keep seed in a sack, it doesn't do anybody any good. All right? But when you plant it, what happens? It grows. It multiplies. When when you plant one corn seed, do you just get one corn seed back? It would be a waste of time, wouldn't it? No, you get a stack with hundreds of corn kernels. When you plant one watermelon seed, do you get one seed back? No, you get a bunch of watermelons with hundreds of seeds in them. So God multiplies whatever little bit you give Him. He increases the things you do that have His approval. I talk a lot about giving God your time, your talent, and your treasure. And it's because these are the three things that are often the hardest for us to let go of, the hardest things to give over to God. I think there's a lot of things that we do, how we spend our time, that uh, if we're honest, it's probably not where we want to be when Jesus comes back. I think there's a lot of things that we do with our talent. That maybe could be used for greater kingdom work. I think our treasure—you know—you just call it our finances. I think that's the one area that we hold on to maybe the most. It's a really hard thing, but God will increase the things that you do that have His approval. He multiplies whatever little bit that you give. When we give these things over to God, he's able to do more with them than what we could ever do on our own. And that really brings us back to the feeding of the 5,000. It reminds us that God is in the business of multiplication. It provides an opportunity for us today to take a step back and examine our own lives as we ask the question, am I giving God what I have and trusting him with the results? Ministry is messy. messy. I want you to be encouraged by this message today. And when I think practically just about our church, I think about how every job is important, every ministry is important, every job is needed. You know, you think about the feeding of the 5,000, whether it's putting people in groups of 50, handing out the food or cleaning up at the end, every job was important. They just had to give Jesus what little they had and, and trust him with the results. And we can use that analogy here, here at OCC. Whatever area of ministry that you're involved in, whether it's the kids' ministry, the nursery, the, the youth, the worship team, the sound, missions, whatever it is, fellowship, whatever, that you, whatever you do, it's, it matters. It matters. And we're called to actually be distributors, not manufacturers. That's so huge when it comes to this principle of Multiplication. We are called to be distributors, not manufacturers. We get to pass on to others what God's already done in my life. We get to say, you know, God, what you've done for me, you can do for them also. We're not manufacturers. We're not in charge of the results. (laughs) We give God what we have and trust him with the rest. And so I want to close with this verse uh, from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. And maybe there's something else in the message today that you're going to take with you, and I hope that you do. But I think this this brings it home and kind of makes it practical as we think about life and ministry here within this body, in this time, in this place. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. That's that gratitude, that thankfulness, not complaining. Work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless.